0: I am not Pastor Tasha, and Pastor Tasha is who is supposed to be up here this week. I'm sorry, I'm not her. Um, She is sick uh, today, and I want to thank you for praying for her. And more importantly, I know she would say, um, she's joining us online today, please pray for her daughter. Paisley is five months old, and she did get very sick this week as well. Uh, We believe that they're on the upswing, and they're coming out of it. Uh, But please pray for little Paisley. Um, We're believing for uh, great things for that family um, but I got the call yesterday uh, that we needed a word from God and how many of you know God is never late but he is rarely early and so um, I got the call yesterday at noon and I said all right God what do you want to say and uh, and then I sat down with my Bible and and usually you know you have a week or two you have hours and hours to prepare and I said God what are we gonna do um, and and I, I I heard from him. I believed he did. I had my scriptures together and ready to go. And I said, okay, God, this is in your hands. What do you want to say to us? And then I came upstairs um, to get ready to go to the Modesto campus last night. And my husband said, well, what are you going to talk on? I said, it, I'm talking about spiders. I'm talking about killing spiders. And, and he, he gave me kind of the look like, oh, okay, hon. All right. Uh, he said, do you feel good about it? And you never want to be like, I'm gonna nail it, (laughs) right? But I, I was like, I don't, I think. I think so. Um, and then I said, I'm going to go take a shower. And I turned around and I was nose to nose with a spider on the wall in my house. And I said, I think that God has just confirmed that this is what he wants to speak to us on this On this, sea. I almost didn't go to Modesto last night because at our Dream Center, they just recently started turning up dirt in the, the field next to, and there's been a lot of creepy crawlies out there. I don't like creepy crawlies. And Everett, who's the director of our Dream Center, many of you know him, he thinks that's funny. So now he texts me every time he finds a snake or a spider just to let me know. Okay? Um and I here's my thing kill it. Just kill it with your shoe, with fire, with concrete. I don't care, but you need to kill it. And um and this is what drives me nuts is when people are like, don't kill it, don't kill it. Why? Don't because they'll say this, you you're a weirdo if you say it's a good spider. No, it's not. It is not. Thank you. They'll say, it's a good spider. It kills other bugs and spiders, so we need to keep that one alive because it's a good spider. What? It kills well? That's why we're keeping it alive, so that it can continue to kill whomever it thinks it should. Are we applying this in our criminal justice system? Don't kill that murderer. He's a good murderer. He murders other murderers. We need to keep this murderer alive because he does good murders. He's a good, a good spider. That is ridiculous. There is no more ridiculous thing than a good spider except for maybe an acceptable sin. I said, we would never say in our logic that that there are acceptable sin. Sin is when we disobey God. It's when we do something wrong. We would never say out loud, it's an acceptable sin. And yet, you don't understand. It's not my own sin. It's someone else's. I've forgiven them. It's none of my business. Or we say, you don't understand. I can't stop. It's compulsive. I'm trying God forgives me, but it's just part of who I am. Or we say, you don't understand. It's the way the world is. You can't be employed here or be part of this country or be in a relationship and not do this. Or we say, you don't understand. It's not really sin. There's nothing in the Bible about it. So at its surface, the phrase acceptable sin might seem ridiculous, but here's the truth that I believe God wants us to know today. The enemy has you fooled. He has used culture and he has used logic and he has used a cheap imitation of grace to convince you that not all sin is bad. He has lied to you. And the Bible tells us that he does that by disguising himself as an angel of light. He's up to his old tricks. Remember in the Gospels when Jesus, God, is tempted by Satan. Satan actually uses the word of God, the Bible, the scriptures to trip Jesus up or to try because Satan knows his Bible and he's used it against you. He's told you God allows some sin. He's told you that some sin is acceptable. He's told you that that is a good spider. And the truth is, there are no good spiders. There is no acceptable sin. So what I want to do this morning is briefly look at four acceptable sins and see what the Bible has to say about them. Unacceptable sin number one. It's someone else's sin. There's nothing I can do about it. Well, we just talked about boundaries, and that's true. It's true that you cannot control another person. You cannot force someone to change, not your spouse, not your child, not a family member, not an employee, not your boss, not anybody. You can't make decisions for another person. Whether their sin affects you or not, there is nothing you can do to make someone stop sinning. But... The issue that arises when we deal with someone else's sin is when we accept it. Because accepting sin is different than accepting that we can't change someone. I'm going to say that one more time. Accepting sin is different than accepting that we can't change someone. In Matthew chapter 18, and and we don't have time to read it today. I'd love to read the whole chapter. But in Matthew chapter 18, there's a few verses that are often called the formula for biblical confrontation. It's a set of instructions that we use to deal with someone who has sinned. Um, it's, it's steps. So try this to bring them away from their sin. And if that doesn't work, try this. And if that doesn't work, try this, OK? Um, and so where we sometimes get confused is the motive for following this formula. As we think, well, so-and-so has done such-and-such, and and I'm hurt, or I'm angry, or I'm concerned, and so I'm going to use this to get them to do what I want. That's not how the Bible works. See, we can't take Scripture out of context. Context is incredibly important. And so if we look at the entirety of Matthew chapter 18, it is a monologue that Jesus gives, it's delivered all at once. And so we have to look at why these verses are where they are. And so I encourage you, I encourage you, If you're thinking about someone else right now, I encourage you to read Matthew chapter 18 in its entirety this week. But I'm gonna let you know that just before Jesus gives this confrontation uh, formula, these steps to confronting someone else's sin, he gives the parable of the wandering sheep. Remember, he compares himself, he compares God to a shepherd leading his sheep. And he says that when one of his sheep goes astray, he so badly wants to bring them back to restore them that he's willing to leave the 99 to bring back the one. He's communicating that he's not willing that any should perish, that he will always come after us. And then Jesus goes into telling his people how to confront sin in someone else. It's in this order for a reason. It's because we're intended to win them over. Jesus is saying, I don't want any of my kids to be lost. And so I'm giving you the instructions for how to bring them back. The point of confronting someone is to restore them. It's to show them the error of their ways, not so that they'll apologize, not so that they'll change their behavior, but so that this person is not hellbound or outside of the will of God. It's because we care. James 5 says this, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And the other thing that we see in Matthew 18 is that it isn't an option. Jesus doesn't say if someone's sin affects you or if you think that this person will listen to you or if a good opportunity arises to talk to this person. In regards to someone else's sin, Jesus says, if they sin, go to them. And you might be thinking that's not tolerant. You're right. Jesus never once preached tolerance. Our culture's idea of tolerance is another tool of the enemy. It's a cultural pressure meant to keep you from following God's commands because tolerance sounds good, but we can tolerate someone we love straight into hell. Unacceptable sin number two, I can't stop. It's part of who I am. I am so proud to be a part of a church that will always address the elephant in the room. That means we'll always talk about what's going on, whether it's comfortable or not. And I'm so proud to be a part of a church that believes in restoration and in healing, in uh, addiction ministries and ministering to those who are ensnared in different addictions. And so we have our, our New Life Counseling Center. We have our Bright Side of Broken Addiction. We even have a live-in recovery ministry at our Dream Center. There's a subtle difference between secular and Christian recovery programs. They're very, very similar. Things like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and Celebrate Recovery and all those different programs. They're very similar. Do you know why? Because they all came out of one curriculum that was originally Christian. But There is a difference between secular programs and Christian programs. It's very subtle because they both stop with something called admitting, or they both start with something that calls admitting you have a problem. We call it the name game. So you've heard people say, like, hi, I'm Bob and I'm an alcoholic, right? It's that admission that you have a problem. That is incredibly important. But the subtle difference is that in a Christian program, it doesn't stop there. The focus isn't on a lifetime issue. The focus is on a name change because God doesn't call Bob an alcoholic. When Bob turns his sin and his struggle over to Jesus, he's given a new name. His name is Forgiven. His name is redeemed. His name is saved. In Isaiah 62, God says, uh, never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. When sin is turned over to Jesus, it doesn't define us anymore. We're defined by God's grace. Our sin isn't acceptable and we don't have to accept it anymore. We live and move and breathe in Jesus and we allow him to change us from the inside out. Now, does that mean that Bob pretends he never had a problem in the first place? Does it mean that we encourage him to start casually drinking or go to bars or allow himself to be in tempting situations? No. But it's not because he's an alcoholic. It's because he's forgiven. He's a new creation, and he doesn't need those things anymore. We are not defined by our sin. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you're dealing with unacceptable sin number three. Things have changed. The world is different now. Well, You're not wrong. Things are very different than they were 40 or 50 or 100 years ago. They're very different than they were 10 years ago. Sins that even your average atheist would have considered horrific in the past are permitted and even celebrated in our media, in our schools, even in some churches. But being free in Jesus doesn't make sin acceptable. In John chapter 8, there's this story where some religious men who are doing everything right, they bring this woman before Jesus, and she's been caught in adultery. And in their time, the punishment for that sin was stoning. They wanted to stone her to death. There's a ton of interesting content in this chapter. But what I want to draw your attention to today is when Jesus finally says he's not going to condemn the woman for her sin because she's acceptable, but his parting words to her in John chapter 8, verse 11 are this, go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus makes us acceptable, but he does not make our sin acceptable. I'm gonna say that one more time. Jesus makes us acceptable, but he does not make our sin acceptable but maybe that's not your issue today. Maybe you're dealing with this fourth and final unacceptable sin. You're telling yourself it's not really sin. How many of you grew up as the eldest child in the family? My people, you're taking notes. You're paying attention. You're doing everything right. You're the reason anyone is here today. How many of you grew up as youngest children in the family? (laughs) You're why they're taking notes. Because later you're going to be like, what'd she say? And they're going to be like, well, at minute 39. (sighs) Okay, but how many of you grew up as middle children? (laughs) They know. They know I'm going to say something mean. (laughs) You guys are the worst. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. My middle sister was the worst, okay? She terrorized me growing up. I'm just trying to keep us all alive. And she's trying to make sure that I never have fun ever. How many of you oldest kids had a middle kid like that? Don't look at them right now, but come on, all right? They make your life miserable. And so from, from I mean, toddlerhood all the way up to when I went to college, it, it was this, she would... Touch me, just to annoy me. Just because she could, just because she could get away with it, she would like touch me. And my mom would be like, don't touch her. And she would do this. You know, some of you middle kids already know. I'm not touching you. Come on! But I think, I think that in regards to sin, we're all kind of bratty middle kids. Because we want what we want. And even though we know we shouldn't, we find that line, and we get right up to it, and we go, I'm not touching you. We're not committing adultery. We're just talking. I'm not stealing. I'm just reporting creatively. It's not lying. I'm just letting them draw their own conclusions. I'm not disobeying God. The Bible doesn't say anything about this. Here's how you know if it's a sin. If you're justifying it to yourself, it's a sin. If we're trying to convince ourselves that something isn't wrong, then we're fighting the Holy Spirit's conviction because there's freedom in Jesus. And so if we're not feeling free, it's not because Jesus isn't doing it right. It's because we're fighting against conviction. But what if it's not addressed in the Bible? What if it doesn't exactly say anything about this one particular issue? Does that make it a gray area? Well, sure, But gray is just a bunch of colors mixed together. And so as soon as God tells you what color it is for you, it ceases to be a gray area for you. As soon as God tells you what you need to do, it is no longer uncertain. And it becomes a sin when we do something that God tells us not to do. Um, There's a verse in James chapter 4. It says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. This erases every loophole we could ever come up with, every justification we could ever come up with. Because when Jesus Christ came, when He died on that cross for our sins, when He went into the grave and then He rose again, victorious over death, hell, and the grave, there was no more separation between us and God. We no longer require anyone else to interpret God's voice for us. We have direct contact with God Almighty through His Son Jesus, Jesus Christ, and He speaks to us directly. And so when you say yes to Jesus, you no longer have to wonder. You can just ask. Once you've asked, once God has made His will clear, once He's told you to do something, if you don't do it, that's a sin. If He tells you to give up something and you hang on to it, that's a sin. If God tells you to move or change jobs or edit your relationship, and you don't do it, that's sin. If God tells you to start a healthy habit, and you don't, or if He tells you to give up an unhealthy one, and you don't, that's sin. And if God convicts you around something, even if the Bible doesn't talk about it, for you, that's sin. And so I believe. I believe that less than 24 hours ago, I was called in because God had something that He wanted to say to His people in this time. And I want to encourage you, as you're hearing my voice this morning, to put aside the thoughts of, wow, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. I really hope she's listening. And to really ask God, why do you have me here today? What do you want to speak to me today? Because here's the deal, our life with God is going from glory to glory to glory to glory. And so I know that you're dealing with some kind of issue that God wants to define. I know that I'm dealing with some kind of issue that God wants to refine, because none of us are going to be perfect until we go into glory. And so you can allow Him to work in you today. There's no shame here. There's just the beautiful opportunity to change. And so I want to ask you, which one of these is He speaking to you about today? Have you accepted someone else's sin, absolved yourself of responsibility to them? When we allow Jesus to replace our sin, we find we don't have to be afraid of confronting others about their sin, even if it goes badly. We can believe the words in Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you, you need only be still. But maybe that's not your issue this morning. Maybe you're playing the name game and you've started to define yourself by accepting your own habitual sin. When we allow Jesus to replace our sin, we find a new identity in Him. We rest in the declaration of Isaiah 43. I have called you by name. You are mine. Maybe your issue today is that you've accepted culture as the authority in your life. When we allow Jesus to replace our sin, we find a new understanding of what truth is and a new strength to resist culture. We live Romans 12:2 Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will There maybe you've been ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you've disobeyed God's command for your life When we allow Jesus to replace our sin, we don't just find how to please God. We find the desire to please God. The Psalmist said, take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. He gives us new desires. We crave new things. We are the fulfillment of Philippians 2.13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. You know what's interesting about killing a spider? You don't try to kill a spider. You don't give it your best shot. You don't work on killing a spider. You either kill a spider or you don't kill it. It's the same with sin. A lot of times we give ourselves that extra out, that back door. I'm working on it. I'm trying. C.S. Lewis said, do or do not, there is no try. I'm just kidding, that was Yoda from Star Wars. (laughs) Gotcha. It's the same concept, though. Do it or don't do it, but don't say you're going to try. Because today I believe that God is calling us to kill the spider, to face the sin, and to eliminate it once and for all. And so in our final moments together, I'd like to give you three steps for killing the spider in your life. Step number one, confess it. Some of you are like, nope. Nope, 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 nope. That should be number three. What are the other two? Let's see. It's scary to confess our sin especially if you're in a habitual sin or an addiction, your gut is gonna immediately reject this idea because you feel like you could never tell someone. And, and here's the lie we tell ourselves when we're this deep into a sin. I can do it myself. I'll just do it myself. Nobody ever even has to know. I'll, I'll let them know when I've already overcome it, right? We believe that. We really believe that. That is a lie from the pit of hell. If you don't tell someone else, another human being, about your sin, then it is still in darkness. And that sin has power in the darkness. James 5 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Sin is a sickness and it is a sickness that is going to kill you, but we have the cure. The cure is Jesus. The cure is giving up that sin and giving it over to Him. You need someone else to walk with you on this journey. Now, if you're not sure who to confess to, I would love to help. Because here's what I want you to hear this morning it might not be appropriate for you to tell everyone. That might not be helpful. I'm not saying that you need to wear a shirt with the red letter A on it. Truly, I'm not. But you do need to tell someone, someone trustworthy, someone who is a Christian, someone who's going to hold you accountable, lift you up in prayer and encourage you on your journey. Do not choose someone that you know will enable you. Don't go to that friend that's going to tell you it's okay. Don't tell your spouse if you guys are not in a healthy place for them to call you out on your stuff. You need to go to someone you can trust. And if you feel like you don't have anyone, let me help. Go talk to Pastor Keeley. Go talk to a a Christian counselor. We can get you uh, met up with someone like that. It's completely confidential. Or, Or you can go to one of our recovery groups and talk to someone who is skilled in recovery. Come talk to me. I would be honored to walk this walk with you. You have no idea how badly I want to see you free. But you have to talk to someone. So that's number one, you have to confess it. But number two, you have to cut it off. Jesus said in Matthew 18, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into an eternal fire. And then He doubles down. He says, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. And people love to say, well, this is, uh, this is an analogy. This is imagery that j- I don't think it is. I really don't. God is saying, it would be better for you to suffer some kind of maiming. It would be better for you to struggle so hard in this life. It would be better for you to deal with discomfort or disfigurement here on earth than to spend an eternity separated from me. And so it needs to be cut off. We have to identify that thing that is causing us. If that friendship causes you to sin, cut it off. If that place you go causes you to sin, cut it off. If your smartphone causes you to sin, cut it off. People survived for years and years and years without them and you will survive without it. But we justify, don't we? I can't do it, I can't work without it, I I, I can't. And I'm not talking just about the phone. I have to have that relationship. We work together. Is your job worth your soul? I have to go to this place. It's, it's, it's part of my, my family tradition. Is it worth your soul? If it causes you to sin, cut it off. And then the third thing we need to do is we need to cry out, pray, pray every day. Pray every hour. I love the King James Version of 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, pray without ceasing. Don't close the line of communication between you and God. Prayer is not something we check off our daily to-do list. It is a way of life. Remember, when Jesus died for you, He opened the communication between you and God. and You don't need anybody else between you and Him. You can talk directly to Him, and it does not have to be pretty. You tell Him. You tell Him what you're struggling with. You tell Him how you feel. You tell Him what you want to do. You tell Him what the problems are. You tell Him what you're remembering. And you let Him take that. He can handle it. He's strong enough, his shoulders are broad enough. He loves you enough to walk through hell with you, but he loves you too much to let you go to hell. And so you pray without ceasing and you allow him to speak back to you. Those are the three steps for for killing a spider. You confess it, you cut it off and you cry out. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? why do we do this? Because this is a moment where you don't need to be thinking about anyone else. There will be a time later when you may need to examine someone else to help them, to love them, to restore them. But in this moment, I believe the Spirit of God has something to speak directly to you. So what sin have you been allowing to rule your life? What sin have you been allowing to remain even though it separates you from the will of God because there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. But there is absolutely ways for you to separate yourself from God's best for you. So this morning, I challenge you before your head hits the pillow tonight to kill the spider, eradicate the sin, and see what God will do with your faithful obedience. God, I come before you this morning, and I lift up my brothers and sisters. Everyone in the sound of my voice, God, I ask that you would make your way clear to them. I ask, God, that you would speak directly to hearts and to minds, that you would make the next step not only clear, but you would make it desirable, and you would make it accessible, Father God. I ask that you would begin to clear the way even now for people to make new decisions, for people to have wisdom in how to edit and how to change and what to do. God, I ask that you would bless their efforts, Lord. And I ask that you would walk with them the entire way. Father, if there is anyone in the sound of my voice that does not know you, I'm reminded, Lord, that you don't need my help. I ask that you would speak directly to them and that they would find you today. God, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're doing. And we thank you for what is already done in the heavenlies that we can't even see yet. We surrender to you today and we give you all the praise and all the glory because you're worth it. In Jesus' name. you need to talk today, you let me know. You put it on a Connect card, you come talk to me, you let me know or you let someone know. But don't go out and try to do this by yourself. You're worth it. You're worth it to me and to this church. So I'd like to bless you today as we we leave. May God bless you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. You may abound in every good work. We love you, church. You're dismissed.